in the book of 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter number 4. I pray that you're ready for the word of God. If you are, shout hallelujah. hallelujah. 2 Kings chapter number 4, verse number 32. Also, I've had several that um, uh, have sent Facebook invitations to me. If you are on Instagram, would you please, uh, I don't know what you call it when you're friending people on it. On Instagram, is that what you call it? There you go, whatever that is. (laughs) Amen. Would you please connect with me there? If you've got an Instagram, if you're in this church and someone can do that, the reason why, I'll just be honest, uh, they won't let me have any more friends on Facebook. I don't know, they limit you out for some crazy reason. But on Instagram, just as many as you'd like. So there you go. Uh, We do keep... uh, uh, things going with our ministry, the things that are happening there. So please do so. Just uh, find us there on Instagram. But you can also message us there on Facebook, however you'd like to do it. The 10 CDs that are in the back are music CDs. I only have 10 of them. That's what they sent. The media department sent that, and that's what I have. They are uh, music that we do. We um, uh, made this CD just a couple years ago. Yeah, it's me and my family, and uh, it's got new songs, old songs, Pentecostal songs, black songs, you name it. It's a little bit of everything on there. So you can find at least one, I'm sure, that you'll like uh, that's there. These CDs, they're $10 each. That's what we have, and uh, there's 10 of them. So I'd love for you to have one of those tonight. Take it home with you, and I pray God's blessings would be on you. I'm believing God for miracles in this house tonight. I said I'm believing God for miracles in this house. 2 Kings chapter number 4, verse number 32. If you're there, say amen. Amen. And when Elisha was come to the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. He went in therefore and shut the door upon them twain And prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child. And put his mouth upon his mouth. And his eyes upon his eyes. And his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child. And the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro. And went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times. And the child opened his eyes. I want to preach just a little while this evening in pursuit of a miracle. In pursuit of a miracle. I believe that God can work miracles in this house tonight. As we begin to pray, I just want to tell you that in the last 11 weeks, I've been somewhere in this country, from Minneapolis, Minnesota, to North Carolina, to Florida, to Texas, Oklahoma, and one of the things that's happening in these last 11 weeks is everywhere I've been, I've seen God save somebody, fill somebody with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, divine 
doctor confirmed miracles that have happened in those services. And let me tell you what God has been doing in this revival this week is nothing short of that, but I'm believing that God is going to pour out his spirit in the divine and in the miraculous in this place tonight. Can you believe God with me? Can you believe God with me? Would you stretch your hands toward heaven and begin to pray that God would touch right now? Father, I plead the blood of Jesus over this house. I pray that God, you would open up the windows of heaven and pour out your spirit upon every heart and every life in this house. We pray, Lord, we plead the blood over our own life and we pray that the touch of God would be made so real to everyone here. We're asking, Lord, that you would do the work. Move Brian McDonald far out of the way. Let the Spirit of God rest in this house. God, we're believing you for the miraculous. We'll receive it, God. We believe you for it. And I pray that every heart would be open and receptive to the word of truth, that God, you would be begin to inscribe it in their heart. Uh, anoint us to preach. Drive the foul and the unclean thing away from this house. Uh, any hindrance uh, to our faith, move it out of the way, Lord. And God, we're going to praise you for it. And God, we look for the miraculous in this altar tonight. We believe you for the miraculous in this altar tonight. We believe you for the spiritual working of God to happen in every heart and in every life. And God, we're going to praise you for it. We're going to thank you for it in the marvelous name of Jesus. And everyone that loved him shouted amen. amen. Tell somebody I'm going to help this preacher preach. in pursuit of a miracle. There's a scripture that appears very early in the story that has set the tone for this lady's impact that we're about to preach about on her family. And it was in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8, and it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem where there was a great woman. And as he passed through there, she constrained him to eat bread, and so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. The writer inserts a word when describing this woman, and he said that she's a great woman. What was it that made this woman so great? There's many aspects of it, but I believe that one of the things that was the most important aspect of her being a great woman is the fact that she went about the kingdom of God trying to sow in and give to rather than to dip out and get from. Say amen. I've learned this over the years. There's a lot of people that join in anything that they join, no matter what it is, uh, from the Kiwanis Club to you name it, uh, they join it in order to see what they can get out of it. There's always going to be that type of people. I'll never forget, I pastored in Corpus Christi for 11 years before coming to Texarkana. And while I was there, there was a lady that came to our church one service. One, one service, and she said after that one service, uh, came down, prayed in the altar, wept, cried, fell out. She laid her hand on her own self, fell out on her own self, and covered up her own legs. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. She did it all. After that one time in the altar, she called and said, I'd like to meet with Pastor. So they set up the meeting and she came and talked to me, told me how wonderful the church was and God had sent her to that church and that would be her home church. I said, well, welcome home. We're glad to have you. As we were leaving the office, she said, Pastor, by the way, I was wondering, uh, 
Come on now. I, I was wondering, uh, since I'm going to be attending church here and paying my tithe here, uh, I was wondering if I could go ahead and get a loan uh, for $2,500. <clears throat> As we continued to walk down the aisle of the church to the front door, I was talking to her and I said, oh, you're looking for a loan for $2,500, and she said, yes, and I got to the back door, and out on our front lawn was the church sign, and I said, you know, read that sign to me right there, and she read the scripture that we had on the sign, or whatever it said, and then she said, that's wonderful, Pastor, I said, read it again, and she, she read the scripture, and she said, what do you want me to read? I said, I want you to look on that sign and see if you can find the letters F-B-I-C anywhere on that sign. I said, you're at the wrong place. You have joined the wrong group. What you need to do is go down to the, to the Frost Bank and join them, get you an account and join them, and then they are the ones that give you a loan. Come on now. Amen. Don't think that we've never helped people because we have, and I believe that the church can certainly do that. But if you've come to the kingdom looking for only what you can get out of it before you come to the kingdom to see what you can put into the kingdom, then you've come about it backwards. One of the things about this great woman was the fact that she can Y'all ain't shouting with me right there. Amen. I don't want to leave it unless we get victory over it. Amen. One of the things that made that woman great was the fact that she did not ask for anything, but rather she came to the kingdom looking to sow into the kingdom and into the ministry. If you're going to find an answer, if you're going to get a blessing, then you've got to give a blessing. It's all about sowing and reaping, not that God needs your money, but it's more sometimes than your money, your, your ability, your talent, your time, your efforts, your worship. Come on, church. You've got to sow. This book says, give and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall God cause men to give unto your bosom. What made this woman great is that she wasn't looking for a handout. She was looking for a place to invest in the kingdom of God so that the kingdom could be furthered because she became a part of it. Friend, that is what maturity is in the kingdom of God. This woman came to that place and she said, to the man of God, she said, why don't you come and eat supper with me? I don't know how many places uh, over the last 30 years uh, that men and women of God, uh, just like you, have fed me, uh, have taken care of me and my family. Uh, as a matter of fact, for some of these preachers that get up and bash the people in the pews, I don't like that. Uh, I don't believe you need to beat people up. Say amen. Even preachers get up and start beating them up. What they fail to remember, these jack-legged preachers, uh, even what they fail to remember uh, is the fact uh, that those people sitting on those pews uh, are the instruments that God has used uh, to feed you and to clothe you, uh, give you a car, give you a house. Come on here. 
Amen. You, there's a give and a receive in everything. This woman gave to the man of God. I've eaten so many places that people in their homes that I did not know them. I've been in the house of folks I just got to know this week. Amen. There have been wonderful people in the kingdom of God. What made her great is she wanted to sow into the kingdom of God. But listen, if you sow into the kingdom of God, if you give according to the will and the word of God, then I promise you the word of God says you will receive. Now let me preach the other side of this. Some people it's hard for them to give. Other people it's hard for them to receive. Come on now. Those folks that have always been givers, and I am. I love to give. I, I, I've been a giver for my whole adult life. But it's hard sometimes for people to receive. Whenever I was a young pastor in Corpus, there was a man that was in my section in the Assemblies of God. He pastored a much smaller church with a much smaller congregation. I never treated him any differently. I loved that man. I respected him. He was my elder. He would come to my church and every once in a while he would reach in his pocket uh, he'd give me five bucks or he'd give me twenty dollars and he said here here's your some tithe I want to pay tithe to you one day he gave me a hundred dollar bill uh, and I said uh, brother David I can't accept that uh, I can't take this from you uh, I knew that I made what may made way more money than he did uh, I knew that I had way better living conditions than he did uh, and I said I can't receive this uh, it made him terribly upset uh, I've never seen that man mad at me a day in my life uh, he was mad at me uh, I said brother David I, I don't want to offend you uh, he said you know what your problem is uh, boy come on here Whenever he was 62 and I was 32, you call me a boy. That's all right. Come on now. He said, you know what your problem is, boy? I said, sir, tell me what it is. I knew I was about to get a whipping. He said, you don't know how to receive. Amen. He said, did you ever think that there's been some people that you have blessed uh, and God told me to give you this uh, and now then you're too proud to receive it. Uh, there's a lot of people uh, that have missed their miracles uh, because they're too proud to receive it. There's a lot of people that have missed their miracle because they feel like they're unworthy to receive. There's a lot of people that have missed the blessings of God because they feel like that they're not good enough or not in any place to receive it. Well, friend, let me tell you, there's some folks in this house tonight. You've been giving. You've been pouring out. You've been sowing in. You've been pouring out your worship. And tonight, God sent me with a word that he's ready to give it back. He's ready to pour it back in. He's ready to open up the windows of heaven and pour out the miracle you're seeking. This woman, for the longest time, they even built a, a room on to their house for this man of God to have his own personal room. Amen. Now, if any of you feel led of God to build an evangelist quarters down here for me, I'll just be glad to take it. I don't know why I'm saying that. I don't know when I'd ever come back. <laughs> Let me tell you. They built him on a room and said, every time you come 
This is your place. Had a bed, a chair, a table, a candlestick. Uh, just about everything that an evangelist needs when he comes to a place. Uh, that's about it. Uh, and he stayed there. Uh, and he came and came and back and forth all the time. Well, finally, uh, the day came whenever that, that man of God was leaving. And he said, you know what? Uh, he said, you've been giving to me. You've been blessing me. You've been pouring out to me for years. Uh, and I've never and one time been asked to give anything back to you. He said, what would you have the Lord to do for you? What is it that you want from the Lord? That woman began to contemplate on exactly what she would say. Because friend, it's important for you to know what it is you truly want from God. It's important for you to understand. Don't just be praying for God to pay your light bill uh, whenever you need your family put back together again. Come on. Don't be just praying for the temporal things uh, when God wants to give you the eternal things uh, that last longer than your lifetime. Say amen to me, church. Uh, amen. I grew up in a family uh, where all of my uncles were drunks. Uh, every one of them, uh, they were drunks all, all the time. Uh, that's what I grew up knowing. Uh, and there came a moment uh, where God saved me uh, and he asked me, what do you even want from me? Uh, and I told the Lord, uh, I said, I want God's will. I want you your will. Uh, I want to do what you've asked me to do. Uh, well, friend, uh, let me tell you, in those last 40 years uh, that I've been serving God, uh, there's been some difficult days uh, trying to make sure that I receive uh, the will of God. Uh, because if you're going to get the promises of God, uh, you're going to have to fight to get to the place uh, to possess the promised land that was issued to you. This woman said, after a while, she said, the only thing that we really want is a child. Now, let me help you to understand, while I am not exclusively praying and preaching for the divine miracle of childbirth, that is not what I, my focus is. We're going to use that as an illustration tonight about the divine miracle of God. This woman, in her case, she wanted a child. In the last 10 or 15 years, there's been just that that has happened. We've prayed for people in altars like we've seen happen in this revival this week. And there's been some that have asked for children. I've actually gotten pictures of children eight years later uh, that say this is the child that we prayed for uh, in the altar uh, in Mississippi. There's a lady that her child, her and her husband's child uh, is now 13 years old uh, and there's a young boy that's eight years old. Uh, there's a pastor there in our city that has that. So I'm telling you, I'm not discounting uh, that God can do the work of giving children uh, but I don't want you to zero in that that's the only thing. Uh, amen. That child, uh, when she prayed for it, the man of God said that by the time I come back there will be a child that's going to be in this home. That woman, the first thing that she had to do in order to receive that miracle was that she had to receive the promise of God. Say amen. If you're going to get anything from God, you're going to have to first receive it in your own heart. You're going to have to get past the doubt. You're going to have to, to, have to get past the unbelief and say that not only is God a healer, but God is my healer. 
Say amen to me. I'm going to put this in your spirit tonight. Uh, I'm believing that some of you are going to get beyond the doubt of saying uh, that not only is he a provider, uh, he's my provider. Uh, Not only is he a comforter, he is my comforter. Uh, Not only is he a restorer, but he is my restorer. Uh, Everything that you have need of, uh, you can find it from God. uh, But the first thing that's got to happen is you have got to receive it for yourself. That preacher told me, you know what your problem is, boy? You don't know how to receive. And I put my head down and I acknowledged the fact he's right. The Bible said it's more blessed to give than to receive. I found that to be truthful. You know why? I would much rather be in the position to give than to have to be in the position to receive. Say amen to me. In April 2011, the the tornado that started over in Mississippi and went on through to Tuscaloosa, Alabama and killed hundreds and hundreds of people. You remember that tornado that was so terrible? Well, that tornado actually started about 30 minutes from my parents' home. And it came right up and hit their house directly with them in it. F5 tornado, 218 mile an hour winds hit their home with them in it. A mile before it got to them had just killed three women, had torn them out of their homes and had destroyed their life just a mile before it got to my mom and dad's. Even that that tornado came straight to them and ripped the house that they had lived in for 45 years down to the slab. There was nothing left. My mother and father was in that storm. Picked them up in that storm. Don't have time to tell you the whole story. But I will say this. My father had only been saved a couple of years when that storm came through. And he was there with my mother. They had fallen down in the bathroom floor. And my dad, all he was saying was Jesus, 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 Jesus. And my mother was saying, I plead the blood, I plead the blood, I plead the blood. Even that storm picked them up and gathered them up into the storm and hundreds of yards spit them out without tearing their body apart. Can I tell you, there's power in the name of Jesus and there's power in the blood of the Lamb of God. That is the protectorate and the giver of life that nothing else can change. Amen. From that storm, there was nothing left. After about a month, they were in the hospital. They were, my mother was, when I got to her, she was swollen twice her size, beaten by rocks and debris and, and boards and bricks. My father the same way. After that, about 30 days, he got out of the hospital into rehab. My mother was able to go home. Amen. 
My mother was able to, to go home immediately after that one day. God had protected her, but there was no home to go to. I remember sitting on the top of that hill, brother, and as I was sitting there picking up debris, the history of our entire life lay scattered on that field and across the, that whole region. As I sat there with no water, no shade, no nothing, it looked like a war zone, it looked like a bomb had exploded there. We were picking up the debris, uh, there was a pastor in a little minivan from the Methodist church uh, that drove up on the hill where we were working. Uh, no water, uh, nothing was there. Uh, we're trying to get it all put back together. He got out and he knew me from uh, being there as a boy. He called me by my first name, Brian. Uh, how are you doing? I said, we're hot and we're tired. Uh, he, he said, well, uh, I brought something to you. He brought a play, covered dish, a ham sandwich and, and some chips uh, and a bottle of water. Come on now. Uh, here I am pastoring a big old church out there in Texas, they think. Uh, he been got riding around in a SUV uh, and I'm sitting on the top of a red clay hill uh, with no water. Come on, somebody. Uh, it's more blessed to give uh, than it is to receive. Uh, I sat on that hillside uh, and I was so grateful uh, for a ham sandwich, uh, a bag of chips, uh, and a bottle of water. Uh, when you get down to the bottom, listen to me, friend. Uh, when you get down where you have nothing if you've given and given and given then God will make sure that you get it back in the day you need it say amen to me did I want to be there no did I desire to have to be picking up the pieces of my past? No, but I'm telling you, God knew enough. There was no cell service. Talk to me, friend, nothing, nothing, nothing was around. Nobody was there. We were out in the middle of rural Mississippi with nothing, but God thought enough about a preacher that had sowed into the kingdom for year after year after year that without a call, without a cell phone, without letting anybody know, he sent a Methodist pastor and said I got you something you're going to be alright in that moment I knew that God was concerned with the little things and God is concerned with the big things tonight the miracle that you need no matter how small or how large God will provide you just got to receive it the next thing you know the man of God comes back and there's a baby that's in that house the miracle had come. They rejoiced. So after the first thing, you have to receive the miracle for yourself. The second thing, now that baby is nine years old. And his father says, it's time for you to go to the field and help in the harvest. Listen to me, church, very carefully. If God's going to give you a miracle, there's going to have to be a moment where that miracle becomes productive in the kingdom of God. God's not going to give you a miracle for you to just heap it on yourself and never use it for the kingdom of God. 
I feel like all week I've been preaching instruction. I feel like that's what's going on here. This is one of the most different revivals. Uh, but God has already saved a lot of you. You're brand new. Uh, there's many of you that are fresh uh, in the kingdom of God. Uh, and the Lord is saying, I want to take you uh, to another place. Uh, I want to take you beyond uh, just repentance and renewal. Uh, I want you to go on. Uh, even the Bible says leaving uh, the doctrine of Christ or the original uh, or the first thing, not leaving salvation, but leaving that basic, leaving that that first level and going on to a deeper walk with God. Amen. The Lord says there's a miracle for you. There's a miracle that's out there, but he wants it to be placed in you to become productive in the kingdom of God. God's not going to give you a miracle unless you're willing to give it to the kingdom of God. This boy had to become productive. So he went to the field. After he came to the field, immediately he began to say, my head, my head. When the promise or the miracle that God gives you becomes productive, the minute it becomes productive, that's the minute it comes under the attack of hell. How many has been serving God five years or more? Raise your hand. How many has had to fight a devilish battle? Let me say it this way. If you've truly been serving God 15 minutes, you've been under an attack of hell to destroy the miracle that is within you. This boy was sent out to the field. Listen to me. If you start trying to do something for the kingdom of God, those of you that have just put your hand to the plow to help this pastor and this church, those of you that just started in the ministry, those of you that just started teaching, those of you that just started working in Sunday school, those of you that just started working with the youth or the music or you just started on the prayer team, wherever you engaged, that miracle came under attack. Am I right or wrong? That miracle came under attack. For some of you, when you started serving the Lord, when you started giving back and sowing into the kingdom and using that miracle for the blessings of God, then it came under such an attack that just like the boy, you cried, my head, my head. That miracle went, was sent back out of the field. It came under attack. The father said, take it back to its mother. And the Bible declares that the boy laid on his mother's lap until noon and died. There's a lot of people that start serving God and in their zeal, in their newness to serve God, they jump into a ministry and start working. Immediately when you jump into that ministry and you start working, you come under attack. Amen. You were free of drugs, but the minute you started working in the kingdom of God, the same crew that used to run around and give you dope started coming back again. Don't mess with me. An old preacher knows stuff. Come on here. The minute that that 
miracle inside of you started becoming productive. Uh, those old ways uh, started trying to creep up out of the grave. Uh, as, as soon as you started trying to be productive uh, in the kingdom of God, uh, amen, you lost your job, uh, you lost uh, this, that, the other. Uh, th- there's a young man in my church. Uh, he got saved. Uh, he After he got saved, he lost his job. Uh, his friends began to run away from him. Uh, all kinds of terrible things happened. Uh, he said, I get saved and everything starts falling apart. I told him they're not falling apart. They're falling into place. Come on here. Immediately when you started working for God, those of you that started teaching a class or helping in the church, you're saved, your spouse is not. And whenever you started working for the kingdom of God, your spouse started acting out. Tell me I'm wrong. The minute you started letting the miracle become productive, you came under attack. The minute that it started producing a harvest, uh, that's whenever you fell uh, under the attack of hell. Uh, That's exactly how it goes. Uh, As a matter of fact, in her case, uh, the one thing she prayed for uh, when it came to pass and became productive uh, is the moment uh, that it came under attack uh, and it died. Here's the difference in many people and the great woman of Shunem. In the Bible days, they had to have a quick burial. They didn't wait for three days and bury them like we do. They buried them instantly and then had a funeral in two or three days after they were in the grave for three days. In the Old Testament, they didn't believe they were dead until they had been in the grave for three days. Uh, They felt like the soul of that man was trying to get back in and revive that man for three days. But after three days, uh, they were really, really dead. Uh, Why do you think Jesus stayed in the grave uh, for three whole days? Uh, He didn't want anybody thinking, uh, I'm still asleep or I'm not dead. Let me tell you, Jesus was fully dead, but on the third day, he was fully alive because of the promise that he made to mankind that he would be up from the grave. This woman, she knew the ritual, but instead of burying that son, you know what she did? She took him right back into that man of God's room and laid that child on the bed of the man that gave her the promise in the beginning. Come on now. The only thing she had ever prayed for had died. The only thing she had ever wanted in the kingdom of God had died, slipped through her fingers. Uh, There's some people here tonight uh, that you've had ministries, uh, you've had opportunities, uh, you've had a work for God, uh, and it seems to have slipped out of your hand. Uh, There's been miraculous things uh, that the Lord has given to you. He's given you healing, uh, and the devil's tried to steal it from you. Come on now. All of those things. She laid that dead baby on the bed of the man of God that gave her the promise. And then she said to the servants, I want you to get the animals together, saddle an ass, 
and we're going to go to the man of God. She said, don't slack your riding for me. After that, she saddled up the beast. They begin to ride as fast as they could. I'm going quickly now. As they begin to run in to the very territory of the man of God, he looked out and saw those riding toward him. He sent Gehazi and said, go and ask. He said, it looks like that great woman of Shunem. He said, you go ask her. Is all well with your husband? Is all well with thee? And is all well with the child? Gehazi began to run down toward them on another animal fast as he could go. He didn't even, when he passed her, she didn't even stop. He turned around and came back to catch up and said, is all well with your husband? She said, it's fine. Is all well with thee? It's fine. Then he asked her that question, is all well with the child? You see, this is where faith has got to come into place. It may look like the miracle is dead. It may look like the miracle is never coming back but it's not about what you see it's about what you know that God has said come on now because what you see and what's really going on are two different things whenever that that man of God he flew down there and said is it well with a child faith answered him in that question you see, sight answered the first two questions. Uh, reality is my husband's well. Reality is I'm well. Uh, reality is uh, the child's died. The child is dead. Uh, but I'm not speaking uh, on this ter- terra firma. I'm not talking about what I see. Uh, I'm talking about what my faith can believe for. Uh, there's many uh, that have received uh, and it's been stolen from them, uh, and they gave up on it. Uh, they buried it. Uh, they let it die. Ministries that have died and they let it go. Friend, let me tell you, you don't speak what you see, but you speak what you hear. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. It's not what the world says. It's what the Lord said. And if God said yes, can't nobody tell you no. She answered him in faith and said, All is well. Why'd she say that? She said it in faith. She got to the man of God, Elijah. And when she spoke to him, he said, what's the problem? She said, the child is dead. He gave his staff to Gehazi and said, Gehazi, take my staff and go lay it on the child. That woman of God said, fine, send him on. But I'm not leaving until the one that made the promise in the beginning goes with me. There's some of you that need to get this very, very clearly. If you're going to get that miracle that the devil's tried to steal from you, if it's ever going to revive again, then you can't get it with a substitute or a subordinate. Come on now. It's not going to be produced by a substitute or a subordinate. That staff, he said, lay the staff on the child. That staff is a record-keeping device. The shepherds were given a staff when they were sent out with sheep. Had so many marks on it for so many sheep. After they would go out in the field, if they gained sheep and sheep were born, they marked it. If they lost sheep to a bear or a lion, it was marked off. And that record-keeping device was turned in 
given to the owner of the sheep and they were paid according to the way that they had produced the sheep. It was a record keeping device. Even that staff had many marks where a lion came against a sheep and David said I went out and took the sheep out of the mouth of the bear and out of the lion. It was on his staff. What that what that substitute was is a record keeping of what happened in the past. Can I tell you God is the same yesterday today and forever. He is. But God don't want you living on the miracles of the past. He wants you to operate in the faith of knowing that there's a miracle for today. Is that right? You can't live with a a substitute and there's no way you can get a miracle with a subordinate. She went back to the one that gave the promise. And when she gave him the problem, he gave her the answer. He said, I'll go with you. So now then they're back at the house, brother. And the child is dead. The miracle is dead. Elisha goes in the room and he lays down on top of the dead promise. He puts his hand on the child's hand. Eyes to his eyes. Nose, mouth lined up on that dead body. And begin to pray. You watch this. When he began to pray, the Bible says that the body of the child waxed warm. There's so many of you that have prayed over your dead miracle in the last years. And you've prayed until the miracle got warm, but it never came to life. You thought it was going to happen. You believed that it was going to happen. And it did get warm. It looked like everything was going to straighten out in that relationship. It looked like those children were finally going to get prayed through. It looked like that everything was going to fall back into place. It looked like your body was going to get well. Come on, somebody. I'll give you my own testimony. There's so many of you that don't know me at all. Five years ago, almost now, I was in North Carolina preaching revival. Got a call, Dad, you need to come home. My daughter called me. Dad, you need to come home. What's wrong? Mom's in the hospital. What in the world is going on? She's in the hospital and they want to do surgery, emergency surgery in the morning. They've got her scheduled for 10 o'clock in the morning. I said, what are you even talking about? She's got cancer, Dad, and they have to remove it now. I said, don't do anything until I get there. I'll be on the first flight out. I got to Texarkana at 10 o'clock, 10.30 the next morning. I went into that hospital room, and they told me that my wife had cancer, a tumor that was wrapped inside the blood vessels feeding her digestive system. 
They said it doesn't look good. And we can do surgery and we believe that we can get it all. I told the doctor, I said, I appreciate it, but we're going to get a second opinion. If it's as bad as you say it is, then we're going to do something besides just take one word. I hope you can understand. And he did. Recommended us to Baylor Scott White in Dallas, Texas. We got to the hospital and they did conclude that it was cancer, that it wrapped itself around the blood vessels in her digestive system. Listen, we're in our 40s. You don't supposed to hear about cancer in your 40s. We're supposed to be in our stride. Come on now. Supposed to be going wide open in your 40s. There we are. The doctor met with us and said, we're going to do the surgery this way. We agreed. They said it'll take about six or seven hours. After that, the doctor had been in for three hours, he walked out. And my heart sank, just being real with you. I don't know if anybody in here has ever had to deal with cancer and surgery. Anybody here? Yeah, there's some of you dealt with it. My heart sank. Why is this man coming out of that operating room less than halfway through this surgery? With no, any kind of emotion on his face, he just stared into my eyes, felt like it was the longest walk I'd ever seen a man take to get to me. He sat down and said, we found more cancer. And we're going to have to remove more. And we want to know if you're all right with it. I said, get all the cancer out of her body that you can and her still live. He went back into that room. They did more surgery. And after that she was out of surgery, they brought her into the intensive care unit. And there they let me sit vigil with her. You know they don't let you sit in an ICU unit unless it's very, very bad. I sat with her. And for three days, doctors and nurses were in that room every 15 minutes or less. Her doctor, her physician, her surgeon, you never see them hardly after the surgery. But for the next three days, she didn't speak, she didn't move, she didn't know anything. And I sat there in that room all by myself, I thought. And I said, Lord, You gave me this woman. You put us in the ministry. You told us to do this. Now, Lord, it's up to you to heal her. It's up to you to bring her back to life. I begged God for her life. I said, God, don't let her die. Let her be a mother to her children. Let her be a pastor's wife to that congregation. Let her be a wife to me. Lord, don't let her die. I ask God for one miracle. Come on now. 
After the third day, the doctor came in as he did every morning at 6 a.m. I was waiting for him. He said, if she made any moves, I said, I've not heard one word. She hasn't moved. I said, Doc, we've got to pray. I had prayed and prayed and prayed. And then finally, about midday on the third day, I don't think you're hearing me. On the third day, I was sitting in that chair. The Bible app on this phone was playing. There was nothing else but the Word of God and gospel music that would be allowed in that room. She began to stir in the bed. I sprang to my feet stood over the top of my wife. And I said, Lord, is this it? After about 15 minutes of moving in that bed, she opened her eyes. She said, is the surgery over? <laughs> Eight days in the hospital. And I can tell you, I know that you probably are going to you, you might even fall out with me whenever I tell you what happened. But after eight days of sitting in a 12 by 12 hospital room, they finally let me get my wife out. I went and got the car, brought it down to the place to, they were going to bring her out. I had everything packed, and we live in Texarkana. And those of you that don't know anything about Smokey and the Bandit, I, yeah. <laughs> I know I'm a pastor. I know I'm a Pentecostal pastor. I'm a tongue talker. But when I got her in the car and we hit I-30 going toward Texarkana, I hit play on my phone. And it said, eastbound and down. <laughs> Come on now. I'm being a little bit too real with y'all tonight. <laughs> Amen. She couldn't even laugh. She said, don't make me laugh. Let me tell you, friend, I prayed until the miracle came back to life. Talk to me, church. I prayed until the miracle stood up and looked me in the face. That's been almost five years ago. We had a different, we've had difficult days with that. Even had one more surgery since then. It's been tough, but let me tell you what happened in the Word of God. We're coming to the altar to pray. That man prayed until the child waxed warm and he didn't come to life. After a while, he prayed in the house and came back and stretched himself again. He stretched himself over that dead body that was only warm and I'm not being facetious or funny or gory or anything right here but after he prayed a second time the child sneezed. What you need to understand is he had his eyes on his eyes. His nose on his nose. His mouth on his mouth. Hands on his hand and the child sneezed seven times. He sneezed in the face of the man of God. Listen to me church. Church. 
I believe that some of you need to be just like the man of God. When the miracle didn't come the first time, he prayed again and he actually was glad for a messy miracle. You gotta know this, that sometimes God will give you a miracle, but it might be messy. It might not be what you think. It may not be what you think it should be or how it should go, but if you're willing to accept a messy miracle, God will provide it for you. Stand with me. I'm going to quit. He prayed a second time. The child sneezed and came back to life. You see, he had to deal with some of God's nothings before he got some of God's somethings. Naaman had to dip seven times. He dipped six times and got God's nothings, all right? But on the seventh time, he got God's somethings. That woman had an issue of blood for 11 years, 364 days. But on the 12th year, the Bible says, for 12 years, she had had an issue of blood. After that, she had dealt with 12 years of God's nothings. He finally came in, and with one touch from the master, she was completely healed. Amen. Elisha, the, the man of God, was sent to look for rain six times, and on the seventh time, he said, I see a cloud as the size of a man's hand. Friend, you may have got dealt with God's nothings. You might have prayed until the miracle only got warm, but I believe God sent me here tonight to tell you that this is your night of a divine appointment. This is your night to see the miraculous come to pass in your heart and in your life. If you'll receive it and believe it for yourself, every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I have preached my soul in this house. Lord, I have prayed and I believe God for you to minister in this place. Now, God, I'm asking you to work in the divine in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.